Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry. And I am Tracy V. Wilson. And today we're going to talk about a thing that everybody knows. Yes. Uh, everybody knows the song Happy Birthday to You. Pretty much everybody. Even if you don't sing it for whatever reason, you probably know how it goes. I don't enjoy it at my birthday. I would rather people sing, you're older than you've ever been, and now you're getting older. Oh, yeah, that one's fun. Thanks, they might be giants. Mine is mostly a problem of people start happy birthday too high, and then when they get to that third line, they really have to stretch and everybody sounds a little dicey. Mine is that I don't like to sing in front of other people. Well, I don't either. And I'm very self-conscious about my voice and whether I am off-key. Yeah, well, that's a whole other ball of wax for me. I, singing does not happen in front of other people. No. But, uh, so Happy Birthday to You is one of the three most popular songs in the English language, and it's been translated and published in so many other languages. Uh, but sometimes people are still surprised that this song is actually protected under copyright and cannot be sung in a public performance without paying royalties. It's one of those things that we hear so often that surely it must be in the public domain. No, it is not. It is not. Uh, it it came from a place. It was written by people. And, uh, you know, so we wanted to kind of examine the history of it and where this simple little tune came from and why waiters can't sing it in restaurants. Right. Well, and it's, it's a thing that people can easily interpret as ridiculous, that you can't sing happy birthday. Like, that's one of those, this is a dumb legal requirement thing that people will say sometimes. Yeah. So, yeah, how did we get to this point? Well, and for clarity, and we'll um, talk about it a little bit more towards the end when we talk about the current legal state of examination around it uh, and copyright law, you can sing it at a birthday party. Right. That's considered a private affair. You just can't sing it for a public performance anytime you would directly or indirectly be profiting from it, etc. You can't put it in your movie. Correct. Without licensing it. Right. So... Uh, the sisters behind the song, Mildred J. Hill and Patty Smith Hill, were actually the daughters of Presbyterian minister Dr. William Hill, and he actually founded the Bellwood Female Seminary. And their mother was Martha Hill, who studied college courses through private tutoring at Center College, but she was never granted a formal degree because of her gender. And they actually had an interesting family. They had six children. So there was Mildred Jane, who was the eldest. She was born uh, in June of 1859. Mary Downing Hill, who was born in 1864. William Wallace Hill, born in 1866. Patty, the other sister germane to this uh, songwriting story, was born in March of 1868. Archibald Alexander was born in 1871. And Jessica Mateer, the youngest, who also factors into this story, was born in 1874. So we have two parents, six children, and what was really a, a pretty progressive approach to raising children at the time. The Hills encouraged their children to play. They encouraged free play and independent thought and exploratory learning. Um, so it wasn't a lot of children should be seen and not heard. Here, read this book. They were the, much more into their children being active and creative. And they also encouraged their daughters to pursue careers, which was not unheard of, but was also not super common at the time. Uh, and the two sisters that 
wrote Happy Birthday uh, actually went on to really interesting careers of their own. Patty Smith Hill became a very renowned educator, and she's really recognized for pioneering some new approaches to early childhood learning. And she's actually often credited with um, shaping the modern kindergarten as we know it. Her sister, Mildred J. Hill, was an accomplished music scholar and a composer. She wrote several pieces on the importance of Negro spirituals as a cornerstone of American music. Um, And she's believed to have written a groundbreaking analysis on the subject under the pen name Johann Tonsor. Uh, We'll put a link to that article in our show notes. So that was under a pen name, not 100% sure on the the identity of the person who wrote it, but it's believed to be the work of Mildred J. Hill. But their legacy really is, for most people, the Happy Birthday to You song. Uh, And the song didn't quite start as a birthday celebration song. So it started when the sisters were both teaching in Louisville in 1889. Uh, And at that point, Patty had just gotten out of uh, school and was just starting her job teaching. And the two originally conceived of a song... Uh, which is a little ditty called Good Morning to All that would be sung as a classroom greeting with the very simple lyrics of Good Morning to You, Good Morning to You, Good Morning Dear Children, Good Morning to All. I remember singing this in preschool, except we didn't say all at the end. We just said you another time. I think a lot of um, students did similar things. Uh, and Patty wrote the lyrics and Mildred wrote, wrote the music to it. And their Good Morning song was published in a songbook called Song Stories for the Kindergarten in 1893. And it's one of those things that I think people hear and they're like, that's a really simple song. Can you really claim anybody wrote that? (laughs) But you can. Uh, It's simple, but it's designed to be because they were trying to come up with tunes that could teach children um, music very easily. Like a kid can repeat that song having heard it only once or twice at the most. Right. It does not take long to learn happy birthday to you. And it actually is a little deceptive in its simplicity. This is one of my favorite things that I learned about happy birthday and this whole outline that Holly has has given to me today. Uh, Stephanie Ann Goldberg, who was writing for the Smart Set and republished in the Utney Reader in 2010, pointed out that the song it really has a subtle complexity to it. Uh, and to quote her, maybe you never realized it, but inside the happy birthday song is a waltz reminiscent of the Blue Danube waltz. You can alternate singing the two as you dance to get a better sense of their similarity that delights me. It, it is pretty cool. I did not n- realize ever having been singing, you know, happy birthday for 30 something years. That but it's a waltz. And she in um in her article which is another one that we'll link to in the show notes, she kind of talks you through how to do the box step and count the numbers so you can do them at the same time, which I did not test. But it made sense in my head as I read it, as I could kind of envision doing no. it. No, so. and now, now I really want a happy birthday polka, like because you, you can also, you can. It's not just a, it's a step from waltz to polka. I guarantee there's a recording of it in polka. There has to be. Uh, and the beauty of such a simple tune as well is that it's really easily adaptable, which is why, for example, your school growing up changed the lyrics a little bit, because a lot of people do. Uh, and after the song's publication in 1893, it became popularly used in education, and it did evolve. Uh, you know, teachers could easily switch out words. And it also kind of changed to become a way for students to greet their teachers rather than the apparent initial intent of the lyrics, which was 
sounded much more like a teacher greeting students. Uh, but it, it kind of took on a life of its own in the education realm at the time because, again, it was easily adaptable. Yes. So unlike today, when the song was first published in 1893, there was no public performance right for musical compositions. Composers didn't have any kind of legal right or recourse to prevent other people from performing their music. Uh, they could only prevent other people from printing and selling sheet music. So ASCAP, which is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers, uh, which is the organization that deals a lot with these kinds of music rights, wasn't founded until 1914. So in 1893, the whole question of who can sing Happy Birthday and where was not really a legal question. Well, and it wasn't Happy Birthday yet. It was Good right. Morning at that point still. So when exactly Good Morning to All transitioned from being a classroom greeting to a birthday standard is actually not 100% clear. Uh, at some point, a second stanza, the Happy Birthday to You lyrics that we all know, began appearing in publications of the song. The first known book, including the combination, is the Beginner's Book of Songs, which was published by a piano manufacturer company, uh, the Cable Company, in 1912. And it was later republished by the Cable Company in the 101 Best Songs and probably in some other editions uh, of those two books. Now, it also appears in some other places, though, is the two stanza Good Morning and Happy Birthday versions. The first of these is the Golden Book of Favorite Songs, which was compiled and edited by NHH in 1915. And the other is the Children's Book of Praise and Worship, which was published by the Warner Press in 1928. And there are several hymnals and compilations that were edited by Robert H. Coleman as well uh, throughout those years that include both stanzas. And there's also there's actually been some debate about whether Coleman wrote the Happy Birthday lyrics. Um, Robert Browneyes, who we'll talk about a lot in this podcast, wrote a paper called Copyright in the World's Most Popular Song, and he mentions in his errata page for the article that Coleman's grandson has actually asserted that his grandfather penned the lyrics. But since those lyrics had been published as early as 1912... Uh, which is long before Coleman's compilations, it seems a little bit unlikely. However, a lot of articles on the subject seem to incorrectly cite 19, a 1924 songbook that Coleman edited as the first appearance of the second stanza birthday greeting. But Brownice has really, he's pretty much a happy birthday scholar at this point, and he has unearthed these, um, like the cable company publications and some of these others where it showed up. So it doesn't really seem likely that um, Coleman actually wrote that stanza. Although, in his own notes, Brown Eyes mentions it's, they're very simple words. It's entirely conceivable that he wrote them, but that they already existed. Like, two people could have come up with those same lyrics. Right. I love that we live in a world where someone can be the happy birthday scholar. <laughs> He's really done a great deal of research on it. Yes. So thanks to radio and talkies, the happy birthday version of the song became really popular. It sort of filled a niche of birthday celebration songs. Yeah, there really wasn't another, to the best of my knowledge, prior to that. And there doesn't really seem to be another now, except for They Might Be Giants, which we just talked about, which is only a replacement if you're a nerd. Well, and there's a version from The Simpsons that I like to sing, but that's completely different. And I think it's only on there because they didn't want to pay the licensing to do Happy Birthday. Right. Uh, but by the time the song was becoming a, a standard part of birthday celebrations, we should note that Mildred was already deceased. She died at the age of 56 uh, in June of 1916. 
but as the song's popularity expanded, it started showing up in films and plays, and it was actually even used for Western Union's first singing telegram. So the song was kind of taking on a life of its own as the happy birthday song. Right. And then, as often happens, people kind of realized that their work was being appropriated without them being compensated for it. So Jessica, the sister, the third Hill sister, uh, stepped in after, in 1934... Uh, when the song appeared in the Irving Berlin musical As Thousands Cheer, with no credit or compensation going to Patty, who was at that point the surviving of the two sisters who had created the song. So Jessica wanted to ensure that her sisters received credit for their creation and any compensation they were due. And so in August of 1934, she actually filed suit against Broadway producer Sam Harris. And then eventually also named in that suit was his production company, the composer Irving Berlin, and the playwright Moss Hart that uh, worked on his Thousands Cheer. And the case never got to judgment. It kind of petered out. They didn't pursue it. But it did get into the deposition stage. And both Jessica and Patty gave... Depositions, And this is a snippet of Patty's deposition. So do you want to read Patty's part? Yes. I'll be the... We'll role play. So Patty said, While only the words good morning to all were put in the book, we used it for goodbye to you, happy journey to you, happy Christmas to you, happy new year to you, happy vacation to you, and so forth and so on. Did you also use the words happy birthday to you? We certainly did with every birthday celebration in the school. So Patty was establishing that when they were using this as a teaching song back in the good morning to all days, they were completely changing up the lyrics as needed to fit virtually any occasion. Because, again, they were still using it to teach children and it was easily easy for children to repeat back. Right. So Jessica testified that while there were many versions of the lyrics to her sister's song, she particularly remembered singing good morning to all and happy birthday to you. And as I said, the case seems to have petered out. There was neither a judgment nor a settlement. And it actually came up later in additional copyright discussion that the case could be revisited. But despite the fact that it kind of got put on pause at this point, Jessica went ahead and secured the copyright to Happy Birthday to You in late 1934. And then she worked with the Clayton F. Summy Company of Chicago to publish and copyright the tune as Happy Birthday in 1935. So at the time, copyright laws would have given them a 28-year term plus one renewal of the same length. And that would have seen the song move into public domain in 1991. But copyright law has changed through the years. So much. So in the Copyright Act of 1976, uh, the law was amended to grant copyright for 75 years after the date of publication, which then would have moved the expiration to 2010. Uh, Then the passing of the Copyright Term Extension Act in 1998 added another 20 years to the copyright. So that time now extends to 2030. And what's interesting now is to kind of see where the ownership has landed on this song. A few years after the Clayton F. Summy Company published and copyrighted it, a New York accountant uh, named John Sengstack purchased the company and renamed it Birch Tree Limited. In 1988, Warner Chapel purchased Birch Tree, which then became Summy Birchard Music. Summy Birchard is time uh, is part of Time Warner, which makes Happy Birthday a part of the Time Warner Group's holdings. Uh, so now, royalties for performances of Happy Birthday are actually split between Time Warner and the Hill Foundation. Uh, Jessica Hill died in 1851, so royalties for Happy Birthday have since been paid into the Hill Foundation Trust, which she established as part of her will. 
And this is the part that to me becomes the pivotal moment in in the whole you can't sing happy birthday is it's time warner is a big company that is an enormous company to own something as simple as happy birthday to you so patty smith hill died 11 years after happy birthday was copyrighted which was on may 25th 1946 that was her death that was when she died Uh, Neither she nor Mildred had married or had children. And who receives the Hill Foundation's money isn't disclosed anywhere, but it's believed that it goes either to charity or to the Hill's nephew, or maybe is split between the two of them. And it's estimated that the rights to the song are licensed uh, approximately 200 times per year. And that's on a sliding payment scale, kind of like what your audience reaches and what you're likely to make off of it will determine how much they charge you to perform it in public. Right. But it brings in roughly $2 million annually, which I think is a little mind-boggling. It is. And it makes me wish I had written a four-line song that could be licensed by everyone (laughs) all the time. Uh, And there have been a number of legal actions through the years to enforce the rights to Happy Birthday. Uh, And if any of our listeners ever watched the show Sports Night, they actually had an episode about it where one of the characters sang it to his co-host on the broadcast not knowing that it was a copyrighted piece. And then, of course, lawyers got involved and there was much um, incredulous talk of, no, really, that's copyrighted? But but the legality involved in this song has actually come into question in recent years. So going back to the work of Robert Brownice and his paper, Copyright in the World's Most Popular Song, And just to establish sort of his credentials, he's the co-director of the Intellectual Property Law Program. He's co-director of the Dean Dinwiddie Center for Intellectual Property Studies. And he is a member of the managing board of Munich Intellectual Property Law Center, all of that at George Washington University, or the first two. And he has really questioned the legitimacy of this copyright. So he's, you know, a law professor who studies copyright law specifically, and he has, like we've said, really become a scholar on this matter. Uh, his work is impeccable in terms of, like, the records he keeps. We'll link to all of this. So you can really follow along his research that he's gone through through the years. And he even, his errata page online gets updated constantly with when people have written in with other pieces of the puzzle or things that they have heard that can be verified uh, about sort of things that have happened along the way with Happy Birthday. Those all get updated, it seems, quite constantly. So uh, it's a really fascinating read, particularly if you are into law. So in addition to being the happy birthday scholar, he's also essentially an expert on intellectual property and is actively looking at this all the time. Yeah. And he makes the case that the song is really similar to folk music that predated it. Uh, to quote part of his paper, he says, Moreover, many have suggested that, notwithstanding the attribution of the song to the Hill Sisters, it is so much like other previous songs that it should be treated as having arisen from a folk tradition rather than the creative talents of a particular author. And in some cases, they even link that back to Mildred's expertise in Negro spirituals and how she studied folk music extensively and how clearly that's feeding into her writing of this. Uh, because that first piece that she wrote, theoretically, as Johann Tansor, was happening, that was published very close to the time that this song was also published. So there's some discussion there. Right. Brownice also points out that there's no clear authorship of the Happy Birthday lyrics. So while Patty said in her deposition that they sang the Happy Birthday version of the song, it's never explicitly stated that she wrote those exact words. 
And he also draws attention to the fact that he's never been able to find a renewal to the 1935 copyright. He has found filings for other specific arrangements of the music, but this suggests that the tune wouldn't have qualified to benefit from the extension afforded by the Copyright Act of 1976. So that they had actually kind of dropped the ball, someone had dropped the ball on their end in terms of that initial 28 years and a renewal that was right. allowed. The renewal never... That it didn't happen. If it ever did happen, we don't have a clear documentation of that. Right. So Brown Ice research is extremely thorough. He finds all kinds of flaws in the life of the composition and all of its various layers, apart from the major one of not being able to find the original renewal of the copyright. So he, he's pointed out lots and lots of problems in its copyright status. And don't worry about it. As we said, you could still sing it at a private birthday party because that's not considered public performance. And nobody's making money off of you singing happy birthday to your friend. Right. And in uh, the errata that Brown Ice mentions, he says that there's a gray area even for waitstaff at a restaurant performing the song for guests. Some people have argued, like, that's an extra thing. It's not something those people are being paid for. Like, they're not paid performers. Uh, he points out that you could consider that an indirect profit-making thing because it's like a value add to your meal. Mm-hmm. Um, but in most establishments err on the side of caution. And that's why when you go out to, you know, your friendly neighborhood or chain bar and grill, they sing like a really weird custom birthday song. Right. They sing it on the nerd boat. <laughs> there's a there's a running joke on the nerd boat, which is a vacation that I take annually, that, that it's always Mike Furman's birthday. Uh, Mike Furman is a comedian and musician, if you don't know who that is. And, and so there were there was more than one singing of Happy Birthday on the boat to Mike Furman. In various different versions? No, it was, it was the normal one. Gosh. Just with somebody holding the final U for as long as possible. Oh. So I kind of wonder now, is, is the cruise line, is, is, are they paying some kind of royalty or That's are they hoping question. for gray area? They're in international waters, so who knows? Well, and one of the things that Brown Ice mentions, too, and it's come up, if you uh, Google the legality of Happy Birthday and its copyright, it will come up in a lot of legal blogs because it, it has been discussed a lot uh, in recent years. And several people point out that at this point, it's possible that um, there has been a little bit of a back off on trying to, you know, follow through and make sure people pay license and going after people that don't get licensed to perform it because it could draw attention to the fact that there might be some uh, sort of improperly filled out forms, some blank holes in the legal line of ownership of this song. And so at this point, it's kind of like, no, that's fine. <laughs> you can sing it. We're okay with that. Yeah. yeah. And it, it would. I mean, Brown Ice mentioned specifically in his paper that even... If someone wanted to go after this, you could because it is there are problems, but it would be extremely costly, particularly because at this point there have been so many licensees and so much money paid to Time Warner and the previous owners before that, that it would get legally very messy and cause just a lot of time and money to be spent. And most people don't think it's worth it. Right. But you would need to just know from the outset that you needed to have more money than Time Warner, which is a quite a. It's a that, lot of money. That's a, a pretty high bar to set to start a legal proceeding. Right. Maybe not more money than Time Warner, but more money than Time Warner would be re- willing to spend on it. Yeah. So, yes, that, that would probably be a lot. Yeah. So it's an, a, such a simple song with such a 
sort of fascinating history. I think it's fascinating to read sort of the depositions about there's much more than what we read. Just these people, you know, being asked about this simple, simple kindergarten song. It's kind of fascinating. Right. I like how uh, some other other people have, have written their own little birthday songs, maybe in response to this, maybe just to be fun. And maybe we'll put some of them out on our Facebook and Twitter after this episode. And I believe you have listener mail. I certainly do. So this one comes from our listener, Haley, and she says, Hi, Tracy and Holly. I'm just presuming it's a she. If it's not, I apologize. Thanks for your recent podcasts on Australian history. As an Australian listening to your podcast, I sometimes get lost in the details of American history, so I was particularly excited to hear you talk about the rabbit-proof fence, though I had never heard of the emu or emu. We've had much discussion about the correct pronunciation, wars. In the United States, either is fine. Either is fine, but apparently not overseas. Uh, Don't worry, I've informed everyone I know about this quirky part of our history now. And she uh, offers to tell us a story, which is that today rabbits are indeed a huge pest and problem. Where I live in the suburbs of northern Sydney, I cross at least one rabbit as I walk home from the bus stop every day. But my grandmother remembers them quite fondly. For her family and many others, rabbits during the Great Depression kept families alive. As their population was so large, and at that time in Australia, firearms were widely available, rabbits were used for food and blankets for those who couldn't afford to buy these things. They could also be used to supplement your income. This was done most famously by the members of the South Sydney Rugby League team in this era, earning them the nicknames the Rabbitohs, which is still the official name of their club today. I'm surprised you didn't refer to myxomatosis, the disease that was introduced in the 1950s to curb the rabbit population. It was actually quite successful, until the resistant population went on to breed, and the population got back to about the same by the end of the century. Yes. So uh, I I was the research doer on that one. Uh, and that's the d- disease that we were talking about when we mentioned that today disease is one of the ways that Australia tries to control rabbit population. Yeah. Uh, the reason that I didn't get into that is because in my research, I unearthed all these papers about other diseases that maybe could be good to introduce to rabbits to control their population. And they were full of these heartbreaking images of sick rabbits. And I, it just made me very sad. So I didn't want to go into more detail. Um about that particular aspect of it in the podcast. It's tricky. You know, I recognize that they're pests, but it's still hard to kind of yeah, get the, mentally ready to deal with that. It, well, and when I when I sent the outline over to Holly to, to look at, I had a note by the one of the links that said, Holly, don't look at this. It's full of pictures of sick rabbits. Yeah, I, I'm crazy animal lady, Tracy. Knew I couldn't handle it. But if you would like to write to us, you can also do so. And that is at historypodcast at discovery.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at Missed in History, on Facebook at facebook.com slash history class stuff. And on, we also have a Tumblr, which is mistinhistory.tumblr.com. And we're also on Pinterest. If you would like to learn more about what we've discussed today, you can go to our website and type in the words happy birthday. And you will uh, turn up an article called How Music Licensing Works, which does discuss happy birthday a little bit. Uh, if you would like to learn about that or anything else your mind can conjure, you can do so at our website, which is howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com.
Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.